Hello, welcome back to the David Watson podcast. Today, I spoke with Dr. Stephen Furlick. And let's be honest, the conversation, the topic is sex, the opposite sex, genders, and how communication influences everything. And he has a book out, Sex Talk, and we discussed what, what it's about. Where are we getting it right? Where are we getting it wrong? And I think you're lying if you're going to try and tell me that subject doesn't interest you. Listen, pay attention. Above all, I hope you enjoy it. And please check out Sex Talk by Dr. Stephen Fallick. And as always, thank you for listening. Hello, and welcome to the David Watson podcast. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me, David. Absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Um, j just quickly, uh, Stephen, could you, could you give everyone a rundown of, of who you are? Yes. So I'm a university professor and researcher, and I have uh, I'm in the area of communication, and I've taught a gender communication class for over the last ten years. And one of the things that I came across when I started to teach the class is that research in the social sciences and the humanities has recognized that there are some differences between the way that uh, males and females communicate and understand, perceive, and emotions. But what research, especially in social sciences and humanities, has always placed emphasis on and research and focus entirely their attention on is that social learning. That's the way that we're brought up, family, society, school. One of the things that really sparked my uh, interest was that I kept seeing the same themes that came up over and over of these differences of different generations, different cultures, um, different individuals. And I kept thinking, what's some of the consistencies for that? And then I started looking at biology. So one of the things I looked at was a biological explanation for these gender communication differences between males and females from early on throughout different uh, stages of life, uh, such as brain structure and sex hormone differences. And what I did was I started to do an in interdisciplinary approach and take in research from biology, psychology, psychiatry, uh, neuroscience, and what are some of those explanations for the social behavioral difference that we have found? And how, how much of it is cultural? So I would say that most, probably most people would uh, recognize and um, would agree that's both biology and culture. And from my perspective and from some of the sources that I cite in my book, Sex Talk, um, over 50% is probably biology, and then 40% or less um, is society itself. And I say that because you can predict certain types of social behaviors based upon sex hormones and brain structural differences prior to birth. And as those biological changes change, so do social behaviors change, and there's a lot of precision with that type of uh uh, research. So what behaviors would we be talking about in this, in, you know, from your books? Okay. So just uh, a brief background is from conception, pretty much everyone starts off on the same track of what we usually think of as female. 
And then after about four months or so after conception, that's when the sex hormones uh, start to kick in and differentiate uh, males from females in the development. So after about four months, that's when the sex hormones actually change the brain structures of the developing baby um, itself. So that science has advanced far enough where you can analyze the human brain and with over 90% accuracy, predict if that human brain is male or female based upon those structural differences. So some of the things that um, uh, we're talking about is uh, perception, emotion, uh, the words use, uh, behaviors. So uh, different areas I could start with wherever you find more interesting, uh, like actual social behaviors that uh, children do and then adults uh, in terms of what you like to play with or you have interest in or the actual language differences themselves or understanding as well. For sure. where do we start? Let's language difference, I think, is a, is a good. OK. One. And the, the, the reason that I have an interest in that is because um, I'm a hypnotherapist as well as a coach and, and I okay. work in, I work with people with head injury rehabilitation. So I have a kind of, I'd, I'd say a limited understanding of language because with hypnotherapy and NLP, you use particular types of rhythm and you, what you really want is somebody to understand what you're saying. So they'll always okay. talk about you're listening to the person in front of you, but you are, but only to build up um, a, a sort of, a, a, um, a repertoire with them so that they're listening to what you're doing yes. because you want to lead them in a certain way which isn't the same as communicating with the, the a person of the opposite sex when you're just trying to have a conversation that might have some depth and meaning to it mm -hmm. and i think those two go hand in hand so one of the things that uh you just mentioned was that you're trying to build some sort of rapport and empathize with them understand them and one of the things that research has identified in communication for years and even decades is that females are superior when it comes to nonverbal communication, both understanding other people and more accurately um, communicating their nonverbal behaviors as well. So it was recognized that females have a better uh, nonverbal understanding of other people. But again, the social scientists and the humanities always try to attribute that to differences the way that you're racist and other so what i did in my book was what are some of the biological explanations for it so during social interactions uh it's been found rather consistent uh consistently that females have much higher levels of oxytocin during mm -hmm. social interactions that bonding chemical so they feel more of a connection to the other person you feel more of a connection to the other person you're going to understand from their perspective and empathize with them much better they even have more activation um, with neurons during social interactions. And what those mirror neurons do is they activate and it prepares your body to display the same nonverbal behaviors that you see someone else displaying as well. So if your body's preparing to um, physically uh, mimic the same behaviors non-verbally that you see someone else do, you can see how you have a similar type of uh, experience and emotional type of experience. So you better empathize and understand what emotional state the other person feels as well. So you take in sensory information, um, it activates those mirror neurons, and then the physiological reactions to do the same types of non-verbal behaviors. Um, they also have, and this is something that, um, 
was rather uh, eye-opening for me and really tied a bow on it why females are much better uh, empathizers. And as far as I'm concerned, this science, this one I'm about to say of the science is already settled that females have much more of an interconnected brain. So they have more connections across both hemispheres, yep. whereas males, they have they have more connections within each hemispheres. So what that allows her to do is um, having those connections across both hemispheres is engage in the conversation, while at the same time analyze the other person's nonverbal behaviors and get a deeper understanding of um what they're saying verbally and non-verbally as well whereas with us males we're much more compartmentalized and we could do one or the other but not nearly as well at the same time also um she has more overall uh brain activation during social interactions so she can um activate all those different areas together where we're much more compartmentalized so she could get a deeper understanding so with um, it gives her an edge up on nonverbal perception and understanding other people. So during uh, social interactions, she's going to she's going to read into it much more so than what males are. Um, males are going to have a much more literal understanding of what's being said, whereas females are going to have a much more uh, deeper understanding with the emotion behind it as well. So if you don't mind, I'll throw in a, a little bit of opinion. Yeah, absolutely. That I think sometimes may be misguided in terms of interpretation and perception that maybe sometimes us males, we oversimplify things because um, we're much more of a literal understanding. And sometimes females, maybe they overanalyze it and overcomplicate what's being said because they tie in all those things together. So that is uh, some of the biological behind um, the superior nonverbal understanding that females tend to have. So taking that, um, I could go into the language differences as well. Please do. So, okay, thank you. So with language differences, it's found early on from early grades that uh, females are superior when it comes to language abilities, the way that they read, the way that they write, and that boys are often diagnosed at much higher levels with language and speech disorders um, than what females are. And um, sex hormones help to explain that. So even if you think of uh, like autism, so autism is, you know, diagnosed at a much higher level with males than it is for females. And they tend to have much higher levels of testosterone, people who have uh, autism, um, than what, uh, um, you know, uh, females do. So testosterone uh, hinders language ability and instantly okay. been found and estrogen actually helps language ability. And that's been relatively um, consistently. So the biological, what we have in place isn't comparable to apples. It's apples to oranges. Yeah. Females tend to have a leg up with language uh, abilities. So how, uh, some of the things that that translates to is that um, um, females have a larger, more active hippocampus, and that's uh, responsible for memory, but it also plays a role in language. They also have um, in the area, the Brodmann areas of 44 and 45 areas of the brain, which is responsible for verbal fluency and verbal memory, uh, it's is 20% larger for females. And also during uh, language types of uh, interactions, uh, more of her overall brain is activated during language interactions. 
males, um, language is activating on the left side, and then emotion is on the right side. So the bottom of a lot of this is that um, during uh, language and during uh, social interaction, it's, it's much easier for her to talk about the topic at hand, talk about past experiences that relate to it, tie in emotion all to the current topics. So she can expand upon her response much more easily with what's at hand, emotion in the past, whereas uh, so much more compartmentalized with our connections. Um, we have higher loads of, of testosterone, usually 20 times as much, which hinders language ability. And we can either do the language or we could emotion or we could do the past experience, but, but expect us to do all three at the same time just isn't realistic at the same level as what she is. So the bottom line with that is, is that um, us males, we need to understand he has a much more common tie in a current topic to emotion in the past memory. Isn't that sorry? Can I just pause you there? All those things together. And she needs to. Yes. You, sorry, you just cut out. I, I lost you for about 20 seconds. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, that's okay. Let's you see. you were talking about the um about how we can't manage memory language and, and there was something else all at the same. That's literally when you cut out. Okay. So she has a larger and more uh, active hippocampus, which is responsible for memory, but then also language um and emotion as well. It's been tied to. And then um uh she has more blood flow to emotion. Uh, the emotional area of the brain creating words and then also uh, memories and sensory. So the blood flow there as well as the structure as well. So when she answers a particular question, um, it's much easier for her to tie in the current topic, uh, the past memories related to it and emotion related to it as well. Whereas with us males, we're much more compartmentalized. So we can either do the current topic, the emotion, or um, past memories, but to expect us to do all three at the same level of her is not uh, as realistic, again, because she has more connections to those different areas, more blood flow to those different areas. And when we're in social interactions, the left of our brain is uh, activated for language and the right for emotion. So the bottom line is that when she responds and she ties in the current topic to the emotion, to the past memories, we need to understand that's males. She's not off topic and she's not complaining to us. She's tying all those things together because it makes sense to her. And uh, she needs to understand with us males, if we just give uh, responses that relate to the topic and don't uh, tie in as much emotion or past memory, it doesn't mean that we don't care or that we're removed from the conversation. It's just that's what we're asked and that's what we're compartmentalized to respond to. It doesn't mean we don't care. It's just that's what we're equipped at. So, so we kind of so when they're when they're explaining, say, their day, something they're frustrated about, yes, um, or something like that, they're they're explaining it from um, like an in depth level on on yes, or everything. It's there's kind of the the yes. the, 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 the compartmentalization that we have, they don't. So it, it's kind of across yes. the spectrum, whereas we're just looking at yes. it very black and white. It's either this or it's that. Yes, whereas they're like, no, it's yes. free everything yes <laughs> yes exactly and it's been found in decision making as well 
um, that you ask, you know, someone to make a decision and consider different options. And then males see it as, you know, it's either A, B, or C, whereas she will see it as a little bit from A, a little bit from B, and a little bit of C as what's the best response. So it's much easier for her to tie all these things together. And us, it's much more difficult physiologically to even tie it in. And we need to understand that. Yeah. So is that why sometimes when they say, we say they're over emotional, it's actually more they're just trying to communicate with us at a stronger level? Well, that um because it's uh that's what they're very equipped at doing but yet also it's been found that um like estrogen is related to uh emotions but then also that uh she has more brain activation in the emotional areas during social interactions so the social interactions themselves are a much more intense experience emotionally for her than it is for us so here's one example um so you know there's different research out there. I may try to attribute to social learning this there or the other, but it's been found um, looking at uh, subliminal negative faces. There's more brain activation for her than it is for him. So you're not even aware of that. You're looking at a negative face and she has more brain activation as a result. Whereas um, for him, it's not nearly as much when both people aren't even aware of that. They're looking at a negative uh, face itself because it's subliminal so that so does this tie in with the kind of the stereotype that women are into guys that make them laugh i would think probably so because um the emotion plays such a major part in the social interaction for her so what better than to have that positive social type of uh experience each time with him if emotion is going to play a larger role why not make it a positive one yeah yeah absolutely so, so that would then, so that would then roll and into everything <laughs> go on. and everything's okay everything's just so much more interconnected uh for her um the emotion everything else uh where it affects more of her overall being Whereas us, we can compartmentalize different types of experiences and reactions and go back to them and bounce back and forth. Whereas with her, it's, uh, I'll give you an example, uh, rest and state functional connectivity. So um, she has more uh, variations of heart rates uh, uh, with her when she's trying to rest than what he does. So the uh, time difference between heartbeats uh, varies much more so for her when she's trying to rest, whereas with us, it's much more steady, and that's because of emotions. The emotions are still influencing her physiology even when she's trying to rest, whereas with us, we could shut off uh, those experiences, things like that, much more easily. So I have a whole chapter called The Man Trance, and basically that we're compartmentalized and our heart rate is much lower and our brain activity is much lower also when we're trying to rest. Whereas with hers, it's much more difficult to try and rest. All those things are still functioning. And a big part of that is emotion. So she needs to understand when we're trying to rest, talking to us is going to go nowhere. And then we need to understand for her to be relaxed. All these things together need to uh, coincide. So what, what what question did you have right before I, I said that? Uh, well, because it, it it was something that was um, playing on my mind because um, uh-huh. I, I had a chap on my on my podcast last year, a guy called Sterling Cooper, and he's uh, a dating coach, uh-huh. um, but he's okay. actually 
uh, an ex-porn star and high-class, uh, he was a high-class female companion. So w- okay. one of the things I joked about with him at the time uh-huh. was that he, he literally is one of the few people in the world that has actually been paid by women to for sex and to make them feel good. And what one uh-huh. of the things he talks a lot about is emotionally, if you know, like he, he when he coaches guys about sex, is he talks to them uh-huh. about... <laughs> don't be silent you have to talk dirty to them but he, he doesn't mean like be, be slutty right. or anything like that he says you've got to find out what their emotional right. connection is and and it kind of yes. there's a, a little bit here in in the bio that i was sent about how you talk about the differences between with relationship challenges and sexual intimacy and and mm. that philosophy of sorry physiology of love and like when when you're trying to have uh, men, like you saying, we can partnerize things. So sex can just be, I, I just need sex, and we don't understand like that that they're not not it's not they don't want sex. They just want it differently, and it's how we communicate that, which is often what gets us into trouble. And that kind of is one of the things that Sterling Cooper was telling me is no, no, you you literally have to talk them into it. You know, it's communication. Yes, so um, uh, I'll, I'll I'll throw out some of the uh, information on it because I didn't know how uh, explicit you want me to go into it. Oh, you can go as explicit uh, as you want. You know, it's, it's, a, it's an adult <laughs> podcast. And let, let, let's be honest, most of the men that will listen to this will want to know how they can get laid. Okay, so I guess um, for a metaphor uh, for both males and females – the sexual intimacy to get started um, usually starts in the head, but different ones for the male, different for the female. Yeah. So for the female, it's a psychological. For the male, it's a physiological. So again, for her, um, everything's interconnected. And uh, she needs a, the relationship is much more uh, emphasized for her during sexual intimacy with the other person than it is for him. So just to start out with, uh, males tend to think about uh, sex more, and it's more uh, neuro-rewarding sensations uh, for him than it is for her. Okay, so it's just a higher level of a sex drive. And testosterone is uh, 20 to 25 times more with adult males, and that's what tends to... um, have our sexual desires for males. Whereas with uh, females, um, it's a little bit debatable, but so uh, for all female mammals, estrogen has been found as a driving force for um, sexual desire for females. And only in a small instances of extremely high amounts of um, artificial testosterone has that been found to increase the sex drive for females and probably with that it's a conversion from testosterone into estrogen that uh, creates that sex drive for females so uh, that's some of the uh, biology or physiologically behind it um, what has been found to improve uh, female sex drive is um, talking and cognitive therapy for them as well. So having um, more of the emotional type of uh, uh, cognitive talk with them has been found to increase 
their uh, sexual desire. And why is that? Because it helps relax them, that it drops their cortisol levels. So just having conversations, uh, uh, intimate conversations with uh, uh, the male, um, it drops her um, stress hormone of cortisol and makes her more relaxed. And that's one of the key factors that if let's say it's a married couple and you have all these things going around in the house with the kids running around and trying to cook dinner, all those things, he's going to be much more uh, ready for sexual intimacy right after all that's done. Whereas with her, it's going to take much longer for her to get uh, relaxed and get uh, in that uh, mind frame. And one of the things that's going to help is the talk itself and having more intimate and emotional types of conversations. Uh, some of the other things uh, uh, that um, has been found is that uh, oxytocin tends to increase the bonding that increases sexual intimacy and reduces her fear and anxiety as well. So there's different ways that you can increase the oxytocin levels for both him and her. And this is something that's key. One is mimicry. So if both people have the same not positive nonverbal uh, behaviors displayed, that's going to increase the oxytocin levels and the bonding chemical and it's going to reduce the stress and it's going to increase the uh, way that they connect with each other. Same thing with touch. So um, uh, having some sort of touch prior to it, that increases her oxytocin levels, um, decreases the cortisol levels, and it um, tends to... Uh, make her more relaxed as well. And what also the uh, mimicry does, it activates similar areas of the brain so that uh, they empathize with each other much more so. So some of the things that can be done is um, having more of uh, intimate types of uh, conversations, uh, having more mimicry with each other, non-verbally, the same types of non-verbal displays, um, uh, having more touch, and then for her, um, having sexual mindfulness. So being in the moment, uh, visualizing the goals prior to it, um, and also um, that uh, the relationship is stressed as well. So, so having a positive relationship with the other person. So the example that you gave me is out of the ordinary because the relationship factor isn't there and that plays a large role. So just one example is that uh, females, they tend to be more sexually aroused in erotic types of films if they identify with the character. So again, how much are they emotionally invested in, see themselves as part of that character and uh, the relationship component to it? So the bottom line is it's much more physical for him. And it's much more psychological for her. And there are things that he could do, um, such as having uh, emotional types of conversations prior to the use of touch and the use of mimicry. How did you get into this? So I uh, was just interested in uh, what are the biological reasons why when I keep seeing the same consistent themes over and over. So as a, you know, someone who studies social behaviors, I sort of, one of the things on this particular topic that we're talking about with intimacy, um, the social part is that the vast majority of, in the U.S., of divorces that are filed by people over age 50 or filed by women. So what are the explanations of it? What's happening at that time? Um, that's usually when menopause starts to kick in. Yep. Estrogen 
estrogen starts to really uh, dramatically decrease. And as we already talked about, that that plays an important role with her uh, sexual desire is um, having a curvy linear level of estrogen, not too high and not too low. And then I think at that time, they're in the relationship for a longer period of time, the male and the female. And if she's changing from menopause and estrogen decreasing, how is that not going to change the relationship? So I think a lot of times males, after a long-term relationship marriage of decades, um, they tend to uh, maybe get complacent. And if there's not blatant types of obvious signs out there, they think everything's fine. Whereas with her, as where we talked about, she has much better social awareness and that um, she's uh, much uh, likely to pick up that the relationship isn't going as nearly as well as what he thinks it is. So that's why they tend to file for divorce much more so at age 50. I was uh, teaching my class yesterday, a nonverbal communication class, and um I threw this out there. They uh, tend to agree um, that so it's been found over and over how mimicry, the same nonverbal behaviors tend to be a barometer of how well the relationship is with the couple itself. The more positive types of uh, nonverbal behaviors that are mimicked between each other and a couple, the more positive that relationship is. And it's much easier for her to adapt her nonverbal behaviors to his than it is for him to adapt his to hers. So I told the class that that indicates to some degree that a more of the burden is placed on her of the relationship because she's more likely to pick up on those types of things. It's much easier for her to adapt her behaviors. So people may be going to a holiday party soon. So uh, two things. One is uh, maybe just observe the couples at the holiday party and look at how well that they mimic each other's nonverbal behaviors. And that may tell you the status of their relationship. And then secondly, we talked about this in class yesterday, that there's a negative correlation between uh, mimic behaviors of one person and a person who is uh, not the romantic partner and how much love they have for the romantic partner. So if uh, uh, person A is mimic is in a relationship with person B, but person A is mimicking the behaviors of person C, then person A's love for person C is much lower than if they're not mimicking a stranger's uh, nonverbal behavior. So if you mimic a nonverbal behaviors of the opposite sex of a stranger, your love for your partner is lower than if you don't mimic them. So that may be something to observe if someone's on the so, rocks. <laughs> so, so pay attention, guys. I mean, and ladies, pay attention to what they're doing. Who are they mimicking in the office? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That. Yeah. I never thought party. about it like that. <laughs> I never thought about that one. Um, is, is there anything when you were doing this research that stood out that was glaringly against kind of what people would cons uh, consider to be true? That's a good question. So just like some of the things uh, we talked about, uh, the conversational differences, uh, we talked about how the women can expand upon those topics much more easily because, you know, estrogen helps, testosterone hinders, and then the brain structures as well, and that they're more uh, socially aware. But something that uh, has been out there for a while and people aren't aware of, and it kind of struck me like this is uh, uh, an injustice to society. <laughs> is that um, women 
females um, are diagnosed with depression at a much higher rate uh, than what uh, males are. Um, and that also uh, they tend to uh, seek uh, therapy much, uh, much more so than what males do. And that's uh, been explained in um, classrooms, research, social science, is that just females are more likely to go to a therapist. That's why they're more likely to be diagnosed with depression. But this is, uh, so it's never just one side of the issue. And it's just never something that's 100%. So that may be part of the ex uh, explanation. But another part of the explanation is biological factors. That for over 40 years, so if it's something that's been 40 years, it's pretty well established that the serotonin system has been identified as sexually dimorphic. Okay. So the way that, so that the way that the body uh, uh, produces and uses serotonin is different between males and females. And what serotonin does is it helps to do emotional balance. It helps to fight depression. It helps to uh, um, make more of a uh, emotionally balanced types of person. So what has been found is that females, they tend to have uh, slower serotonin synthesis, uh, lower serotonin activity, and they tend to even have, it's been found in um, more recent research. Uh, the one study that I looked at was Wurtzman, W-U-R-T-M-A-N in 2019. They even have, females have lower levels of serotonin in the brain itself. So taking those things together, um, you can see that why females are di diagnosed with depression more. They have more uh, sleep uh, disruption or sleep disorders. And um, it, it uh, uh, affects their mood more, uh, happiness as well. Um, testosterone has been used to treat depression. And males, so uh, because it con converts and converges in, uh, converts into serotonin, testosterone does. And if one person has 20 times as more uh, testosterone than the other person, then you can see how that would be a difference that that person with uh, 20 times as more testosterone would be less likely to have depression. Um, depression and anxiety have been found on the X chromosome. So if one person has two X chromosomes, a female, and one only has one, the male, you can see how that contributes to that as well. Um, depression has been linked to major hormonal shifts for females. And females tend to have more activation in the locus coriolis, which is responsible for emotional processing. So, again, going back to uh, social interactions and social experiences for her, she has more activation that processes emotion uh, uh, information. So it's going to be much more of an intense type of uh, encounter, social interactions. So taking that together, um, uh, lower loads of serotonin in the brain, uh, having lower levels of testosterone that could be converted into serotonin and having two uh, X chromosomes uh, that is associated that has been linked to depression and anxiety. You can see how they're much more vulnerable to uh, depression and anxiety than what males are. It's, it's going I was going to say, so I, I, that's, some, that's something that, uh, you know, people may be aware of that um, females, you know, have more emotional differences 
and more vulnerable to depression and anxiety, but it's not blamed on society alone. There are biological explanations for it. Serotonin, X chromosome, lower levels of testosterone, and more uh, intense processing of emotional interactions. I'm trying to, while, while I've been listening to you sort of, sort of since we started, I, one of the things I always try, mm-hmm. try to figure out, and, and this is probably a blunt way of putting it, but what's the point to the differences? And what, what I mean is like from an evolutionary point of view, why why would we have the differences? Because like, if, if I think of a, a pride of male lines, the, 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 the reason you have such vast differences is because of the roles they play. You know. yes yes so but the way that you've described the way that women can can think um across a much broader spectrum compared to men I, i'm trying to get an understanding of what would be an evolutionary advantage to that or a point yes the point to doing that yeah so my uh so epigenetics plays into it and how the experiences that you have influences and it doesn't necessarily change your DNA, but it changes how your DNA is expressed in your offspring. So we have thousands of years of evolutionary influences on our DNA that influences our behaviors to our offspring. So the last whatever with uh, women having more of a um, engaging role in society and professional um, roles and things like that, it's not going to unwind and change thousands of years of evolutionary in the last hundred years. So from early on, let's say maybe the caveman days, that the woman stayed back at the cave and she raised the baby. So she needed to have a much better uh, social understanding of what the baby needed, the nonverbal understanding. So that's what she has today. So that's why she has more activation in the mirror neurons, uh, higher levels of estrogen for social understanding, more integrated brain, this, that, and the other. She needed to know what the baby needed. Was the baby hungry? Was the baby sick? Was the baby depressed? Um, and she needed to have that social understanding. If she didn't, when her offspring died off, and then her genetics weren't passed on and survived. Those who, females who did have that superior understanding, their offspring were more likely to survive, and their offspring uh, were more likely to have that superior social understanding. Language abilities as well. So uh, understanding not only the language from the baby, but it was important for her to uh, create these social bonds and these social ties with um the groups that she surrounded herself with because she can survive on her own and provide the resources alone back then to the baby so she needed to communicate understand friend from foe and establish those social bonds and that's why those social bonds play a much larger role more important role with uh, females than it does for males and if that's not convincing enough, that's, you know, that still plays in what we do today. Look at the male role. What is the male role? The male role was to uh, leave the cave, chase around all these different uh, resources to gather uh, food, try and hunt something down, bring it back to the cave with protein, this, that, and the other. So if you're chasing around all these different animals and you're running in all these different directions, what do you need? You need a good spatial ability to find your way back to the cave. And that's what testosterone is linked to. What's it linked to? It's linked to aggression, strength, and spatial ability. 
So having higher 20 times as much uh, testosterone, those males who were able to uh, find their way back to the cave had better spatial ability. Their offspring are more likely to survive and they passed down that trait of better spatial ability that we see today with males. Um, strength and aggression as well that we see with males that's all linked to testosterone as well. Um, so, um, Oh, something else that's a consistent factor is that there's um, uh, females, one in 10,000, that are born with the condition CAH, and that's higher levels of the male typical uh, type of, of uh, uh, sex hormones, androgens and testosterone. So these girls that are born with CAH, higher levels of testosterone and androgen, they are more on a continuum uh, in the direction of males than they are, than the typical female is in terms of spatial ability. They're much better at it with these higher levels of testosterone. They tend to have lower language abilities with these higher levels of testosterone, similar to what males have. And they tend to go into uh, similar types of careers to what males do as well. And they tend to enjoy similar types of uh, play behavior early on as what males do as well, more of the rough types of behaviors, mm -hmm. playing with trucks and trains and things like that. So the common underlying factor with that is, in both cases, is testosterone. For the girls uh, that are born with the CAH, similar types of behaviors in that direction, not the exact same, but moving towards that direction than what the average girl does. And it's uh, the sex hormone of testosterone that uh, partially explains that. So what was needed for survival for the female to raise the offspring, the social understanding and language abilities is still implied today. And those that didn't have it, uh, their offspring didn't survive. And then for males back then, the uh, aggression, um, the strength and the spatial ability to find their way back to the cave. If they didn't, their offspring didn't survive is still intact with us today. So you see, and it's not that uh, because uh, males and females, girls and boys are told to go into different uh, career choices, but it's our natural abilities. So once the biggest um, divergent changes of sex hormones between girls and boys is during the puberty, the adolescence, and what's that? That's a time in their life that they start to think about what uh, careers they want to go into and what uh, professions in higher education or not do they want to go into. So when the sex hormones differentiate of increase a high amount of testosterone for males, and a high amount of estrogen for females, uh, that partially explains why males go into uh, some careers much more so. That's spatial ability. And that's why females go into other careers. That's much more of the relation. Uh, and language abilities. You know when you uh, when you work and and you you you're giving lectures. Mm -hmm. Do you find a curiosity, two different curiosities between men and women, about what they may or may not ask? That's a good question. Um, I think for uh, the simplistic uh, reaction of that is. It's, uh, it's eye-opening for the males in terms of, I never even thought this was possible, that uh, this, that, so I sort of see the metaphor as she sees the world in color and we see it in black and white. Yeah. And then for the uh, girls, the females, the women, um, I see it for them is this is why males don't pick up on what is clearly and blatantly obvious. 
So it's uh, uh, understanding for her as to why we don't pick up on things. And it frustrates them to no end why we don't pick up on these things they understand. And we don't um, open up nearly as much emotionally and language-wise. And for him, it's just a whole new world of what we don't see that's in front of us. Yeah. Do, do you find then with with that that the 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 two opposite genders then have a different sort of um a, a, a different track in the questions that they ask do they kind of both go off in different routes or do they they then converge once they have that understanding of the differences what do they then converge kind of or do they actually go further apart no, I see it more of a convergence. And the biggest thing that I feel um, uh, most uh, pleased about and gratified over my research is to uh, have people empathize much better with someone who's different from you uh, gender-wise. So to understand from their perspective and not just from yours, I think that's probably the biggest thing to take away from is that we always communicate from our perspective yeah. and we always understand people from our perspective and we don't empathize and understand from the other person's perspective much more so. So one chapter that I have, I'll briefly go into uh, if you don't mind. Um, do. um, it's uh, chapter 12 off the top of my head. And it's called uh, Women's Sixth Sense. And uh, it's been found that um, in all five senses, women are superior. So with their ability, uh, they're more sensitive to touch and get more uh, information from it. So there was a study done. You have a curtain and you have two people on the other sides of the curtain. And all they do is they reach their arms across and they hold hands. And women are much superior and able to identify the emotion of the other person just from the touch alone um, than what males are. Uh, just looking at the eyes alone, that's it, of a picture. Women are much better able to identify the emotional state of that person than what males are. So with touch, um, with taste, they're much more sensitive. With smell, so again, uh, taste and smell, you need to be able to taste the food, to know if it's poisonous or risky to the baby or not back then. So that with a berry or a lettuce, is that poison ivy? Is that a poisonous berry? Um, uh, smell, does the baby smell that he's or she is ill or that um, um, uh, they need changing or something? Okay. Um, hearing ability. So hearing ability is highly correlated with uh, estrogen levels. So uh, what's that? Um, when she's at her most likeliness to uh, reproduce and fertility yeah. age, estrogen at highest then. And that's when you need to hear the different nuanced cries of the baby just by coincidence. And then when she's no longer in that uh, fertile stage, uh, menopause, estrogen drops, hearing ability drops. And then one of the things that really um, struck out to me um, is that we literally see the world differently. 
So color of vision is on the X chromosome. And with uh, females having two X chromosomes, you can see how that uh, plays a part with her being able to see more colors and details. She has more P cells in the retina, and that's uh, responsible for uh, color and details as well. And um, I have uh, uh, a book that just came out, Nonverbal Epiphany, and I have an uh, image out there. I have a whole um, spectrum of colors. And I have a boy on one side, a girl on the other. And I have just the uh, whatever, seven or eight different colors that the boy sees. And I have all these different variations and subtlety differences that the girl can see. So just the color differences uh, that uh, boys and girls can see differently just based upon the color vision itself from her having two X chromosomes and having more P cells in the retina as well. Would that help explain why women tend to have care more about their appearance and the appearance of their partner? So they're more in tune to it. They're more uh, specialized in that. So they're better at it is one thing. And then for her, the appearance, that's status for her. So it's competition for her and the other females, uh, what their appearance is for attracting attention, mates, resources, this, that, and the other. Whereas with us males, it's more of the physical types of resources is what attracts uh, uh, mates for us. Um, one piece of advice that I have in the book with the book, with our book that we're talking about right now, sex talk is um, I throw this out here a little bit humorously, but the best style that a man can choose is chosen by a woman. So if you're going to uh, start um, shopping for clothes for a male, take a cousin, a female cousin with you, a female friend or whatever, and get her perspective on what looks best on you as a man. Oh, definitely. De de definitely. That. <laughs> now it's it's interesting because uh, a while uh, many many years ago I, I used to do a lot of shopping with people people would get me to come along um and and it's not that i know particularly how to dress well I, i'm just good at gauging whether somebody feels confident in what they're wearing because if you feel confident in what you're wearing it mm -hmm. could actually be a sack but you'll pull it off with, mm -hmm. you, you could wear a hand stitched, uh, hand tailored suit, but if you don't like it, you don't feel comfortable in it. Everyone will see that. And with her, two things. One is it's for overall the most part. There's just no no comparison. She is much superior when it comes to color vision, so she could see the color detail differences. And then secondly, you're talking about comfort. She's much better able to empathize and understand the emotional state of the other person as well, how they feel in that clothing. Because yeah, this, it makes me. I try and because it makes me when when I think of conversations where where. You know, where you, you you're watching conversations between couples, and there's this frustration from a female about how the husband will just put on anything, and and, it, and it's, uh -huh. it's it's almost like there's a stereotype of no men just don't they're just not wired to know how to look good, and but then women will always be yeah. able to point to a guy that does know how to look good, yeah, and and it's it's just like it, from from what you're saying, it's it's no actually we're just wired that way. And that brings up a good point as well. Uh, going back to your previous question is, what are the takeaways that um, students and 
whoever else takes away from it is that women tend to get frustrated that we don't pick up on the things that they pick up on. Yeah, They don't see the problems in the style that they see. Yeah. So they see us, they see us, they take that a step further, like I already talked about, and maybe this isn't correct to say, but maybe they overcomplicate it and take it a step further and get frustrated saying he just don't care. It's not that we don't care. We're just not able to see it the same way that she does. So because this will work, this and the other, it's because they look all similar to us, these five different selections. For her, yeah. they're five different, totally different. And because it looks the same to us, it does it does not make a difference to us. Whereas with her, you don't care that this is vastly different from the other four. So to put that into a real-life perspective, uh, that that's literally the guy that's going to get taken to the shops this Saturday and be asked to help his wife pick out an outfit. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. So how, how could, because literally they, they want your opinion, but they're seeing, they're seeing yeah. it on multiple levels where we're just seeing it in five, yes. in, in five, you know, so that's a great, great, great uh, explanation. So I'm going to hand back to you now, because I don't have the answer. How, how do we navigate that? Carefully. <laughs> yes. How would we carefully communicate what they need to hear about an outfit that we can't see so, the same way? Uh-huh. I would probably first one is what's the purpose of it? Is it professional? Is it uh, um, socially? Is it for holiday parties, for work? So what's the purpose? And then keep that in mind in terms of what you point out. So if it's something that she probably wants to hear more of, and I would stress, what are the positive physical attributes of this particular style that are for you and emphasize this really helps this body part for you, this style. And if something doesn't look so good, don't even mention it nearly as much because, yeah. again, they're probably much more sensitive about it. But emphasize the positives and over, you know, what are the positive parts of the different types of styles, A, positively highlights this body part for you socially. B, positively highlights this other body part for you socially. Um, and then if it's something professionally, this makes you look much more uh, serious or this makes you look much more whatever profession you're in um, professionally. Um, and this is why this, that, and the other. So know what the purpose is and then just uh, uh, play on and emphasize the pauses that you see and maybe downplay or ignore the next and push her in the direction of the positives and be delicate with the negatives. So, so it, 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 it yeah, is about so. <laughs> emphasizing the, the, the purpose. But yes. How, how, how would we, how would we recognize what her fear is? so that we can navigate that in a reassuring way. So women tend to communicate much more subtly to us. So um, it's difficult to pick up on some of the uh, social cues, here's this, that, and the other when she tries on different styles. But then secondly, they're much more um, indirect with their communication. 
So maybe the vocal tone of how does this look? How does this look? How does this look in terms of is she uh, emphasizing it much more uh, straightforward in terms of how does this look or is she much more hesitant on how does this look? So I would be very cautious and try to push um, um an outfit that she's hesitant on if it's something that she is much more sure about with the way that she questions and asks you then i really you know unless something's blatantly obvious encourage her much more on that type of outfit. last thing you want to do is encourage her to buy an outfit that she's very hesitant on and then later on dislikes who's she gonna blame so so <laughs> so you could literally dial into if you recognize that she feels good about an outfit that that's the one you want to you want to get behind unless there's something blatantly obvious as to why you should yeah so so that's what i mean so if you as a bloke in yeah. with our limited field yeah. of vision recognize yes oh she's feeling good about that outfit literally yes. go all in that that's the one yes you look amazing it's and kind of communicate to her why it will fit the purpose of what she's yes for. yes so facially does she look excited about it pupil dilation is one thing if maybe you could pick that up but it's hard for us um they get when anyone gets excited their pupils dilate and then also by the way that uh she asks a question subtly how excited or how hesitant does she uh sound by not only the words but the vocal tone as well then maybe also how long she spend looking at the outfit, the longer she spends at it. Uh, I would think that the more that she looks at an outfit, uh, probably the uh, more that she uh, is invested in it and the more that she likes it. So that would be one more cue as well. Facial expressions, vocal tone, pupil dilation, and how long she look at it. Okay. So that, that's an interesting one because that's the opposite for men. We, we, if we're looking at something, the longer we look at something, the, the less decided we are on it. We we tend to see exactly what we want and go for it. In t in terms of what, mm -hmm. you know, like if if me, I I like shopping, but I I, uh -huh. I will literally if it doesn't stand out to me like that, I'm not interested in it. You know, it mm -hmm. could be a t-shirt, could be a pair of jeans, it could be anything. If I have to think about it, I know I don't want it. Mm -hmm. And with her, I think that uh, the more that she's looking into all those nuances, the details, all those types of things, the more that she's invested in it. And that's, you know, sort of how we are as well, that um, in relationship to everything else, she's much more invested in those types of things, emotionally invested than a lot of times what we tend to be as well. So for them, would I be right in saying that this is like a feedback loop that we... Uh -huh. we we kind of take our feed our feedback differently to how they receive their feedback you know so so there's these nuances where they almost study think dwell might not be the right word but that they're because they literally do see things at, on different levels and here there's all this just sensory sort of perceptions going yes. on their feedback loop would be wildly different to how we get feedback from the outside they have a larger insula in their brain and what that does it takes in sensory information and processes it and that's why uh, i kind of came up with that uh, women have a sixth sense yeah. because 
they have that intuition, they can walk into a room and know the emotional state of the people in it much better than what uh, males can because they, like we already talked about, they're superior in all five senses. So they have more information from senses that go off of than what we do. So maybe that's why sometimes in the decision-making process, it's overcomplicated for them because uh, they have much more information to go off of. And for us, it's much more simpler because we have less information to process and go off of. So that's literally why they don't want, they don't, um, it's difficult for them to decide where they're going to eat. You know, look because there's all these different things they're considering at the same time. You're, you may be thinking price and food quality. She's thinking food, price, quality, uh, the company that uh, uh, she's with, the atmosphere, the place, and um, all these other factors as well. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very strange when you start thinking about it or having a discussion of, about it from that bi biological perception. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. it's, it's just like we I tell you, the, it's a poor analogy, but it, this is what popped into my head. Do, do you remember when you used to play? Com you might still play computer games, but you'd have to choose, yes. like, a, 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 like which character you were going to be, and they all had these different strengths and these different sort of qualities. And yeah, one would yes. always, yeah, you know, well, that's what's going through my head. It's just it's like that—that's that, the analogy that went from my head. Is when we're making a decision, it's very much like, okay, he's he's really strong, he's uh -huh. really fast, he's really weak. He's got great magical powers. Yes. I want to be strong today because yes. I know what I'm going up against. Yeah. And, and, and we're, we're really like that, whereas they're like, well, I need to take on board all of these things, whereas I'll yes. just be like, yeah, but that, that avatar looks shit up. <laughs> yeah, so you're, uh, you're building an avatar, and one has uh, 50 pieces, and the other only has 10. Yeah. Yeah, so it's... it's one topic... Uh, one topic I, I think is important that I kind of want to get to, and I yeah, think it would save a lot of men a, a lot of trouble. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There is, there is a uh, relational dynamic out there in communication, and it's been recognized for years and even decades. And it's a conflict dynamic, and it's uh, uh, demand withdrawal is what's uh, titled. And it's almost always where the woman is in the demanding role and the male is in the uh, a withdrawal role. So the more that she demands from the relationship, the more that he withdraws. So um, I'm guessing you probably saw this play out and you probably see in other instances as well. The Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial yeah. that went on. Yeah. And, and that was a textbook, according to my chapter, of she demands that he withdraws. So she even said during the trial itself, or it came out one of the tapes that was recorded, that, Johnny, every time that we have some sort of conflict, you just get up and leave. And that was one of the things that came out in the trial was he walked in and there was a birthday party. She had her friends over. He didn't like something, so he just left and went to a hotel room or something like that. And then she really retaliated against him that most people are aware of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah extreme way. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's what happened. She demanded, you know, more of the relationship investment from him. 
he withdrew from it because he saw it as that she doesn't appreciate what he does. So what the just a few things from this uh, dynamic is, is that she is much more emotionally invested in the relationship. That's just the way nature is because social interactions um, are much more intense for her than it is for him. And they last longer in the memory as well for her than it does for him. And she, as we already talked about, she needs to understand that um, we're not nearly as socially equipped language-wise because testosterone hinders us, and then also the brain structure as well. So she's expecting for us to self-disclose and be emotionally available and um, disclose that through language as what she does. She's going to be disappointed each time and demand more from it. And he needs to understand that, and she needs to understand that um, what he does is his form of communication for the contribution to the relationship. So she contributes to the relationship through the emotional investment, the language-wise, and the social awareness, and he contribute, contributes to it from what he does. And both parties need to understand that that they both contribute but in different ways and that he's not going to pick up on uh possible conflicts or problems in the relationship nearly as much as what she does so a few things that could have been done differently with that is for both the understand um the language differences and the social understanding but also it's been found that touch prior to conflict um so maybe holding hands prior to having something or maybe an arm around her or whatever prior to having a conflict increases the oxytocin level uh, for both parties. And what that does, it leads to more positive behaviors. So that bonding chemical increases and you empathize with the other person much more so. And then again, drawing it back to mimic behaviors, that that um, uh, not only increases the oxytocin levels, the bonding chemicals, so you feel more of a connection with them. It lowers the cortisol levels as well. And then it also uh, activates similar areas of the brain, so you empathize with them uh, much better. So use of touch and then mimicry, and then also understanding that males can't just self-disclose and emotionally um, uh, engage as much as what females can, and that uh, females need to understand that what he does is a contributing factor, uh, much more so than what he says. So when she talks about the relationship and memories and emotion all together, it's not that she's uh, um, complaining towards him. She's invested in the relationship. That's how he needs to see it not as complaining towards him and what he's doing wrong. He needs to appreciate that she's trying to improve the relationship. It's not nagging at him. It's trying to improve the relationship. And he needs to be more understanding of that. And she needs to understand that, you know, we're not uh, as capable of doing, of uh, contributing in that way. We contribute in other ways. What, what could be a practical thing that a, a guy listening to this, a practical thing uh -huh. that he could do in that situation he needs to understand that for her, it's uh, much more interconnected and it's much more of an intense uh, type of emotional experience. So conflict for her needs to be resolved much sooner and much quicker than it does for him. Because for him, we could compartmentalize it, come back to it. For her, it's just going to stew and stew and build and build. And then it's going to blow up even more. And then it's going to bring in things that are totally unrelated to it because it just built and built and built. So he needs to understand when something that is something important to her may not be as important to him, but important to her is conflict. It needs to be resolved and resolved soon. And um, they need to address it. 
and maybe set set aside a particular time, say, okay, in an hour or tomorrow, we're going to uh, talk about this and address it. Whereas if it's something about him, it could wait a few days, it could wait a week, it could wait a month. We could set it aside and still relax and enjoy ourselves. But just like going back to that previous discussion, if conflict is building with her, he's not getting him intimacy because yeah. that stress cortisol yeah. level is going to be high. So he needs to address it soon, have mimic behaviors, the use of touch, and get it resolved from her. And oxytocin uh, increases much higher for her during conversations. So just talk about something without resolving. You don't have to uh, fix the problem. Just her yeah. talking increases oxytocin levels and makes her relax. So that could be the solution itself, just talking. Because that, that's there's a couple of things there that i just want to pick up on because you've said something there about we we can just put it in a different compartment because you and i can yeah. literally have a conversation and then just say okay look we're going to have to agree to disagree and, and then just move on yeah. literally yeah. that that phrase just means we'll agree to disagree you will nod my head or i'll nod my head and at that point it's a reset button and then we carry on as though we haven't disagreed on anything and, and we might never revisit it. And yes. If it ever comes up again between the two of us, we'll just say, hang on, yes. we've already agreed to disagree on this. And and that's it. It's resolved again. So we're, le we're less e emotionally involved in it in terms of uh, we're less emotionally affected by it and less uh, relationship affected by it as well. We could sit aside, still be friends. And uh, that's not even that's in the, you know, the rearview mirror. Yeah. And so, so I suppose when when men are in this kind of conflict zone with, with their partner, it, it's that we we need to avoid the think the will can we agree to disagree because that that's not going yes. to get get you anywhere with them because that just means you don't see my point of view you don't understand what I'm trying to explain and also that trying to get to an end point instead of just let how can I word this correctly is I'm, I'm trying to think of how to word, word it but it's going to sound clumsy because we, we'll have a habit like it's almost like we're repairing something so there's an end point inside yes. In, yes. instead of I, i'll just listen until the tone changes and the body language calms down and m maybe there's a connection again where she moves it forward or moves it to a conclusion as opposed to me mm -hmm. thinking, well, if I just if I just do X, Y, and Z, that should tighten it up with a bit of glue and it's fixed. <laughs> so maybe maybe the solution is just conversation itself and just reaffirming that you understand her feelings on the issue itself. And maybe that's the end result, you know? And that's a fix. The fix is her talking for uh lowering her cortisol levels oxytocin levels and then also um that you uh emotionally understand where she's coming from and why it's important to her yeah okay just qu quickly um how many books have you written and, and what are they uh just two so far so the one we're talking about is uh sex talk how biological sex influences gender communications throughout life stages. And then last year, I just came out with a nonverbal book. It's called Nonverbal Epiphany, Steps to Improve Your Nonverbal Communication. And we have a whole chapter on relationships and the nonverbal differences between them. Here's something that um, from that book that I just taught yesterday because I'm teaching a nonverbal class. And it's 
obvious from the research, but not obvious to people. So um, for single people, uh, the uh, courtship steps is basically the female initiates it subtly that she's interested, uh, maybe through standing closer, uh, longer periods of eye contact, playing with her hair, whatever else she shows interest, and then she stops. She expects the male to pick it up from there and uh, progress it to a much more uh, intense level from there. She wants him to take over. So if he doesn't uh, pick up on those subtleties and take it from there, showing interest and investment, then she's no longer interested. Whereas it's not uh, back and quality at the beginning. It's her showing interest non-verbally that we need to pick up on. And then she expects him to take it from there, the lead to be the man and lead from there. Mm. Ask her out. Ask her out. Engage in conversation. Uh, show some sort of investment. Take the risk of being infected. It's, it's, that's interesting because when I coach guys and they ask me about dating advice, the, the advice I always give them is pl play the rejection game, and w which is just if you see a girl you like in, yeah. in a non- sort of in, in an environment that can be no pressure preferably you know it could be in a queue it, do, it doesn't matter just walk up write your phone number down walk up to her and just say i really like you know i saw you smile whatever just say i'd, I'd like to meet you and talk I'd, I'd like to take you out i fancy you and just give you a number and then just say but you know i don't have time to chat right now call me and we'll go for coffee and walk away and and, and the reason for doing that is one men just have to learn to, to accept rejection just just get over that bit yes and, and life is just a hundred times easier yeah um yeah and and then following that you've set out your intention and if she replies and calls you she's interested and she's most likely interested okay. because of your level of confidence and uh -huh. it'll be very hard for you I to mess it up from there on in and that's uh that is a good approach and plays into what we just talked about. Maybe even say that, say, Hey, you know, uh, I acknowledge, I noticed uh, that subtle interest that you showed in me. And then you're walking over to progress it to a, uh, uh, you know, a uh, more serious level. Yeah. That, um, Cause it, this is it. You, it's trying to explain because I I'm 49. So I, I didn't grow up in a social media age. I, I grew up in an era uh, of yeah. dark, dark discos and dodgy lights. So if, uh, if you wanted to meet somebody and ha you, you had to go over and just talk to them and, and risk them blowing you out and just saying, no, I'm not interested, you know? Um, and like I said, in, in, in dark rooms with dodgy lights, it was very hard to see if that was really a smile or somebody had blown smoke in her eyes. <laughs> uh -huh. And you just had to take that chance. <laughs> The only thing I may, uh, you know, suggest is that maybe he asked her, um, do you want me to call you or do you just want my number? Because sometimes the woman and doesn't feel comfortable. Nope. I thought I'd lost you completely. Now we're back. Yeah. So no, you, no, you, you, you were just saying about um, give, give her your number, but say, oh, you know, did you want me to call you? Yes, yes. And just ask that question because some women uh, want the man to take the lead and she may be interested, but not uh, want to make the first phone call. You know, um, just quickly, 
do you, do you find when you're out and about that you can't help observe couples? Yes, especially the mimicry yeah. in terms of uh, nonverbal behaviors. How much do they mimic each other? And then proximity as well. So how uh, uh, close are they standing towards each other? And um, we're, so in my nonverbal book, the extremities are usually more of the truth teller than the body itself. So where are the feet pointing? Or do the feet point towards their mate? Or does the feet point towards a different girl? Or does it point towards the exit? And that uh, sort of tells you their true intention of what they have interest in. Do they have uh, interest in their mate, another girl, or uh, they just want to leave? Okay. Do you ever find yourself with friends or your partner, whatever, just saying, they're getting divorced or they've had an argument or they're in love. Yes. And um, the uh, synchrony just isn't there. They're just off on everything that there's just no coordination. That's where relationship is. It's not two individuals, but to overlap between two individuals. And if it's just two individuals together, you know, there's just what's, what, what's it to keep it uh, together. And um, you know, these things come out naturally. And you just need to have a educated eye to see it. Cool. Is there anything you'd like to cover before my last question? Um, so I guess uh, just one thing on the last thing that we talked about, and then I'll have to uh, think if there's anything else. Um, it's pretty much that the females pick out the mates. So okay. it's pretty much their decision. It's up to them. And they're comfortable with it, taking that role and showing subtle interest. And then you have to take it from there. So it's not really the men that are hunting it down. It's the women who are showing who they have interest in. And um, let me see if there's anything else I want to talk about. Um, nothing too much off the top of my head. Okay. So my last question is just one I like to ask, and it's completely random and off topic. Um, in an imaginary sort of magical world, if you could go back in time, be any place, any time, where would you be? What would you be driving? And what music would you be listening to? That's a good question. <laughs> I was uh, watching a, a show earlier today. And oftentimes, uh, people think of nostalgia in terms of when they're much younger, uh, because you have fewer responsibilities, fewer stress, and everything just seems much better. Um, so it either be the 90s, yeah, because it seemed like simpler times, they had pretty good music. And um, in terms of vehicles, there was, uh, at least in the U.S., um, I think it was like a Mazda um Marathi or something like that yeah. and um all those middle-aged men were buying those to try and get younger women with so that's one and one thing that i'm not really that informed about it just seems very uh glamorous the roaring tr uh, 20s yeah and yeah. it just seems like you had all these uh high class fancy social events to go to everything was uh uh economically you know, going well, not a lot of conflicts around the world. And I really like back then there was um, more of traditional gender roles back yeah. then as well with style and, um, you know, socially as well. Yeah, the Roaring Twenties was a, a that art, especially the Art Deco period of the Roaring Twenties, and I think was just, just fantastic. It's just amazing. 
just seemed like a utopia. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, that, that's a, a great place to stop. Thank you very much for your time. It's greatly appreciated. Thank you very much for listening. It was Dr. Stephen Furlick and his book, Sex Court. And I hope you enjoyed that and have a greater understanding of the biological differences between men and women and how they come about. Maybe you have an opinion. Please like, subscribe, comment. Please check out all of Stephen's work. I have already ordered Nonverbal Epiphany and I have, a, have it in my hand right now. So I look forward to reading that and look forward to catching up with him in the new year. But above all else, please take care. And as always, thank you very much for listening. It is appreciated.